into the Nick Bob Podcast. I am taping this. It is Sunday, August 20th. Nebraska football season kicks off in just 11 days. Certainly exciting times. Uh, reminder, Bo Root and I will be back doing our regular rotation of pods. We'll do, our, of course, our game recaps after every single Husker game. We'll do our midweek pod as well, and we will look to fire the YouTube video page back up as well. So just be ready for all that. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast or the YouTube page, please do just hit that subscribe button. And it, uh, for the YouTube, just look up Nick Bob podcast on YouTube. You'll find the page, hit that subscribe button, and uh, we'll we'll have a ton of content for you all through Husker football season, which again is just around the corner. Okay. Uh, solo pod today. I got four topics to dive into, all of which are about Nebraska football. So let's get into it. The first topic, uh, not too surprising considering how things looked coming out of the spring, but Matt Rule, before even officially releasing a depth chart in a press conference, named Gabe Irvin the number one starting running back. Uh, Rule in a presser was asked about the running backs and said that Irvin has separated himself as the guy and he, he went on to kind of talk about how Gabe Irvin's he sees as the number one running back. Ramir Johnson's the third down back. And then he said Anthony Grant is talented when he has the ball, but he's fumbled too much in camp and needs to clean that up. So, you know, I just I wanted to talk about this running back situation because it's really interesting to me. And we've talked about this before, but now that Matt Rule has gone through a, a spring, a summer, and a fall camp and that running back depth chart has somewhat sorted itself out. It is interesting to examine it now that we're about 10 days away from the very first game. So with Gabe Irvin, you know, I've told you, man, I, there is something about that dude that is intriguing to me. And I think the, the biggest thing that's intriguing is to win the number one running back spot, to win the running back job twice under two different head coaches, two different offenses, two different offensive coordinators, two different running back coaches, and to emerge as the number one running back twice, that's something, right? That That's impressive to me. Rule expanded on Gabe Irvin saying, quote, from the day I got here, I was just like, wow, that's what they're supposed to look like. He's big. He's powerful. He can run behind his pads. He can run inside zone, outside zone, power, counter, anything you want to run. And what's wild to me is Gabe Irvin has 57 career carries. And 57 is like a decent amount. I feel like I have no sense of what his running style is. Rule paints a picture of a running back that can kind of do a little bit of everything, inside, outside zone, power counter. He can run behind his pads. He's got a little bit of speed. So maybe he's one of those running backs that can kind of just, he's he can do everything. He can get the tough yards. He can make you miss. Maybe he's one of those guys. But it is just interesting to have a relatively big sample size of 50-plus carries. And at least for me, I don't have a great feel for him. Like, if you, if you think back, it took like five to ten carries, and I had a feel for Amir Abdullah and his style. It took like five to ten carries, and I had a feel for Amon Green. To, to not name a Mount Rushmore Nebraska running back, 
for example, it took like five to ten carries, and I had a feel for Imani Cross. With Gabe Irvin, I don't have a feel for him yet. And I'm excited to watch and, and really get that feel for him and see what he's all about. But bottom line, man, he's got to be a pretty talented dude to win the number one running back job with two different coaching staffs and two different offenses. Takes take some talent. And obviously, we can't lose sight of the fact that he hurt his knee. He's been banged up. So that's obviously you know affected things as well. Uh, over the course of his time at Nebraska. But, you know, my line, I've said a few times, I said it on a solo pod a couple of months ago. I said it to Bo Rude the other day. <laughs> my line's been, Gabe Irvin has 57 career carries, and I feel like 50 of them were either poorly blocked or they were in a bad situation, like in the shadow of his own end zone. You know, Nebraska got pinned at the one-yard line, and they were just trying to, like, give themselves room to punt, and here comes Gabe Irvin. He runs it like three times between the tackles, and it's like, you know. So I guess for me, I make excuses for him, but I feel like they are legit. And to see him win the number one running back job again, some of my excuses I've made for him feel validated or vindicated, I suppose. So I'm very excited to watch Gabe Irvin. With Ramir Johnson and Anthony Grant, Two fascinating players and careers in in a lot of different ways right now. Anthony Grant looked like the clear-cut best running back on Nebraska's roster last year, especially early in the year. There's no question he's made more whoa and wow runs than Gabe Irvin has so far. No doubt about it. And Ramir Johnson, for that matter. But apparently the fumble thing is a real thing. I'm just, I felt like Anthony Grant showed that he was a real player at times last year. And so it's it's just interesting to think about what you saw him do at the start of last year and now see him basically kind of looking at like third string. And then with Ramir Johnson, I've dubbed him the nickname Michael Myers. Like he's the Michael Myers of the running back room. Because no matter what happens to that dude, no matter who Nebraska brings in, no matter how it unfolds, he just finds a way to stay alive and climb up the depth chart and get onto the field. You just can't kill that guy. He's got some real fight and toughness to him that I do admire. It appears like he's, you know, from the outside looking at it, it appears like he's had multiple opportunities in his time in Nebraska to either quit blame others, throw in the towel, and transfer. And yet he's hung in there, and he's still here fighting. And I I think we all can admire that. In a world where seemingly every player just transfers and wants to hit the eject button at the first moment of adversity, Ramir Johnson is different. And I do salute that. But I just find all three guys in this running back situation, I find them to be easy to root for and all for different reasons. So, you know, to be honest, I, and I've said this before, I don't think there's a, you know, a first-team all-conference superstar in that group of running backs. But I, I'll say this, man, a running back room of Gabe Irvin, Ramir Johnson, and Anthony Grant, it isn't bad. You can do, you can do a lot worse than that. So we'll see what, what it all looks like come August 31st when the real games start to come. 
But that running back situation is is fascinating to me, and it looks like Irvin has solidified that number one spot. Next topic. So, I'm ready to say it. This may kind of feel like a hot take or whatever, but I'm I'm ready to say it. I'm ready to plant my flag. Thomas Fedoni is going to be a star this year. Plain and simple. I get it. I get it. Fedoni's had multi, you know, he's been hurt multiple times. He's got a grand total of what zero catches in his career. But I don't care. I don't care about any of that. He will be a star this year. I'm I'm getting out ahead of it. I'm saying it now. He's going to be a star. And the reason I think that, it's a, it's a combination of a bunch of things. The, the first thing is because of him, who he is. Again, you're talking about the former number one tight end recruit in the country. And as I pointed out before, most number one ranked tight end recruits in a recruiting class, they're Sunday NFL type dudes. So there's that. And you watch that guy's high school highlights. And you now watch his highlights you've seen coming out of practice. He looks like a total beast to me. He's 6'6", 250 pounds. He can run. He just appears to have all the physical tools to be a star. And as long as he stays healthy, which is a big question mark, but as long as he stays healthy, he's got it, man. The second reason, what's around him, his situation. I think the thin wide receiver room, especially after Xavier Betts left the team again, I think the thin wide receiver room will lead to more tight end usage and tight end targets from this offense. More, There's going to be more two tight end formations. There's going to be more opportunities, more targets, more, more, more. I think the lack of wide, receiver, wide receivers will lead to more Fedoni targets. And then lastly, this may be just a personal thing. I think, and, th- and this is coming from an old quarterback back in the day, I think there's something comforting about, having, about throwing to your tight end. That, I've always felt that. Jeff Sims has had accuracy, issue, accuracy issues. He's had turnover issues. Needs to settle in and get comfortable in this passing game, in this offense, as a Nebraska Cornhusker. I think throwing to a big 6'6", 250-pound target in what can be a safe, maybe play-action bootleg throw or little sit-down comeback routes over the middle, those are simple, easy throws that get your quarterback in a good rhythm and get them comfortable and get them confident. So I think given Jeff Sims' history and his weaknesses, I think a good remedy, outside of running him a decent amount, I think a good remedy to those weaknesses is a good steady diet of going to your tight end, and I think that's going to be Thomas Fedoni. So while it may feel like a bold, hot take, I'm ready to plant the flag. I'm ready to buy the stock. Thomas Fedoni is going to be a star. He's going he's to have a great year. I'm all in on him. I think he's got all the physical tools in the world. And I think the situation with this offense, this quarterback, will lend itself to a lot of opportunities and targets for Fredoni to make plays. So there you go. 
I'm buying all the Fedoni stock. I'm the president of the Fedoni fan club. I'm all in on him. I think Fedoni's going to have a big year. Third topic. So, you know, when you get this late into August and and Nebraska football's the first game's just about to kick off, like we've we've all kind of hit that part of the calendar. Well, in all reality, we kind of hit this part of the calendar about a month ago, at least for me I did. Where we've kind of hit this part of the preseason ramp up where we've kind of hit all the different angles, right? Like we've we've all over dissected and overthought about everything with this team and this season and the schedule and the roster and the coaches and the storylines and the the strengths and the weaknesses and the questions and the answer right like we there aren't there's not too many angles that haven't been talked about or players that haven't been talked about so you get to this point in the year and it, it sometimes can become almost paralysis by analysis where you get to where you're either outthinking yourself and creating something that isn't really there or you're kind of beating a dead horse and repeating a certain topic. And for me, I think if anything, I've been, I've been doing the latter more than the former with certain angles and topics and storylines. I was, I was thinking about this as I was mowing the lawn earlier today. So, two years in a row, for sure, and in all reality, the last six years, it's happened where there was kind of so much put on the first game, so much pressure, so much hype, so much importance put on the first game that when it didn't go well and Nebraska lost, it kind of felt like it was hard for the team and the whole scenario to get back on track. Two years ago, the 2021 season, remember the season kicked off at Illinois? That game was built up all offseason. Huge game, massive game. We're going to learn a lot. The season rides on this game. Huge game. Nebraska lost, and it kind of derailed that team. Same thing last year. Northwestern game in Dublin. That game was built up all offseason. Huge game. Huge. We're going to learn a lot. Mark Whipple, this new Frost CEO, we're going to learn a lot about a team. Ton of pressures, ton of importance on this game. Well, Nebraska lost the game. It derailed them, never got on track, and we know what happened. And even if you expand beyond the last two years, the season, it's interesting when you think about this. Even if you expand beyond the last two years, the season was somewhat shaped in the first few games of the the year. Really think about it. You go all the way back to 2017, Mike Riley's last year. You go all the way back. 2017 rallies last year. Remember, lost at Oregon, got crushed in the first half, and then lost at home to Northern Illinois. Nebraska was in sitting at one and two, and Riley became a dead man walking, and the season was over. Just two, three weeks into the season, 
Done. 2018, year one of Frost. We all know what happened there. Nebraska started 0-6. 2019, year two of Frost. Actually got off to a decent start record-wise. Started the season 4-2. and two. But remember, that loss at Colorado in week two after being up 17 to nothing at half, it felt like it was a big one for the season and it hurt confidence. And it it just really, if you, if you really think back to it, that game really hurt. 2020, the COVID season, which was obviously weird. But remember, Nebraska got crushed at Ohio State. Week two, the Wisconsin game was canceled, and then Nebraska loses a very frustrating road game at Northwestern. Remember, they subbed in Luke McCaffrey and all that stuff. Nebraska loses a frustrating game at Northwestern, and all of a sudden, boom, Nebraska's 0-2. Now, Nebraska did rebound the following week and beat Penn State, but then followed it up with that terrible performance and terrible loss to Illinois in Lincoln. But to my point, the season was shaped early. And then we we get to what I just hit on, 2021 at Illinois to start the year, built up to be the Super Bowl for Nebraska. Nebraska loses the game, plays poorly, got Nebraska into a tailspin that they never really got out of. Then in 2022, Northwestern in Dublin, that game was built up, Nebraska lost. It kind of set Nebraska down a path that led to the terrible Georgia Southern loss at home, and boom, frost is fired, season's over. So I say all that to say, Man, I don't want to fall victim to the same narratives of the past of putting too much on the first two games of the year for Nebraska. But man, it's kind of hard not to see how huge those two games are this year at Minnesota, at Colorado. So I'm torn right now. I don't want to turn on the mic and create this massive moment for Nebraska like we did in 2021 and 2022, and then when it doesn't go well, everyone freaks out. But at the same time, I do think it's kind of interesting to think back to the last six seasons of Nebraska football and how much the season was shaped in the first two to three games of the season. Kind of crazy, right? Now, to be fair... For the season to be shaped in the first two to three games of the of the year, like it's also a mark of a bad program and a weak culture that one or two losses or one or two bad performances in September can create a hole that you just can't climb out of. But still, it's interesting to think about what the past has shown us and then think about the first two games for Nebraska this year and how it all sets up. So I don't I don't want to overdo it, but the first two games of the year feel really important for the team, the buy-in, the trust, the fans, the quest to get to six wins and make a bowl game for perception. I mean, really, any way you slice it, the first two games are really important for all of that. And I, I hate saying that, like, I hate saying that 
knowing how that seemingly impacted things the last two years, not to say that I like shaped the perception, but you get what I'm saying. Like that became the, the talking points, the narrative and uh, around the games. So I hate kind of like getting back into that world and saying, well, man, first two games really important and seeing how that, when they didn't go well, how it unfolded. But it also feels like it's the truth when you think about the last six years as well. So it's kind of a weird place mentally. So you, you think about those first two weeks, man. Nebraska needs to be at the needs to split at the very at at the worst. They need to split the first two games. Nebraska needs to be at the very worst one and one heading into week three, hosting Northern Illinois at home in Lincoln. If Nebraska's two and zero, the chances of them being four and zero, getting ready to host Michigan are high. And obviously, the chances of them getting to six wins are high too. If Nebraska's one and one, I think they're in okay shape to get to three and one and are, you know, on pace to get to a bowl. But man, if Nebraska is zero and two, they lose to Minnesota, they go to Colorado, Coach Prime's home opener, Boulder, probably be a pretty good atmosphere. If Nebraska's 0-2, I think some of the team's confidence could get rattled. The staff will have to be dealing with a lot of that. I think the fan base won't be in a great place mentally. And then you got your work cut out for you to, to find six wins and get to a bowl. So it's hard. Like, I simultaneously hate that I'm doing the same thing we've done the last few seasons and maybe overdoing it with putting too much pressure and emphasis on the first two games of the year. But I also see how the recent trends of the first few games have dictated the years. And I also see how the schedule shapes out, leading to the obvious conclusion that, yes, the first two games are really important. Gotta find a way. It'd be unbelievable to be 2-0. This place would be pretty Freaking jacked up if Nebraska's 2-0 coming back to the Matt Rule home opener. Whew. You go beat Minnesota and then go beat your old rival, make Coach Prime have to walk to center field and shake Matt Rule's hand after an L. Woo-wee. People will be fired up. But if they're but if Nebraska's 0-2, you know you know how this place can get. Not saying like there's any like any crazy, but you know, I mean, there's just it's not going to be great. And then you think about the path to get to six wins gets a lot harder. The pressure on the two, you know, group of five teams coming into your crib. You know, the two Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech; those games get a lot more pressure packed. So, man, first two games are really important. They just are. History's kind of showed us that over the last six years, man. Kind of weird to think about. Last six years, season's kind of been shaped first two, three weeks of the season. We'll see what happens here in about 10 days. All right, last topic. So I've let this kind of marinate for a little bit because Trev Alberts had a, had a quote about a week and a half ago or so in an interview with Amy Just talking about conference realignment and you know, what the next round could look like. 
and Trev predicts that the next round of realignment will be far more disruptive, and and he even predicted that there could be an eventual league, an eventual college football league of the top 35 to 40 college football brands, much like a Champions League in soccer. So, obviously, that's a pretty juicy prediction from a you know a power conference, a sitting AD in a power conference to say, yeah, I could, you know, I think the, this is going to get more disruptive, and that I think we could see a, a day where it's just a league of the top 35, 40 brands in college football, and that's the that's the the league. So that made the rounds. And so here here's my take on that. There's a lot of different ways you can go with that. You can go, no way, or you can go, yeah. I more so am in the last. It, it, like, I kind of think when he said that, that that seemed like like something I could believe. Feels like we're trending towards that. So you could talk about it in that regard, but I took it. I looked at it from this standpoint because some people looked at that that quote and thought, "Oh boy, is Nebraska going to?" If that scenario is Nebraska in the top. You know, are they in that league? Are they going to, you know, top 35, 40 brands in college football? Are they going to, are they in? So here, here's my take after letting it sit for a while and thinking about it. When it comes to the top 35 to 40 brands, college football brands, we all can't fall victim to being prisoners of the moment. Sure. Has Nebraska been one of the best 30 to 35 college football programs over the last six, seven, eight years? No. Let me rephrase that. Hell no. I mean, they've had losing seasons in seven of the last eight years and have now gone six straight years without a bowl game. Definitely, definitely not a top 35 program in college football during that period of time. But that's not what this is. Trev said brands, and I agree with I think that's how these decisions will get made. And brands is a is different than past five, six, seven years' success. So let's entertain Trev's thought. Top 35, 40 brands will be, that'll be college football. And the question I'm looking at it, or the, the, the perspective that I'm viewing it from, the question is, would Nebraska be included in that? So I put a pen to paper, and I, I go, okay, let me just start writing down. Let me start writing some names down. I started writing down the top brands. And the reality is, at least for me, you run out of what I consider to be no brainer locks quicker than you think. You get into that gray area quicker than you think. Of like, uh, is that team for sure in? I, I, are they? Like after your Bama, Ohio State, Texas, LSU, Georgia, Michigan, and USC's of the world, things drop down a peg quicker than you think. So let's let's kind of write some of this out. If I can't name Nebraska, just for for the sake of the exercise, here would be, and I'm going to be what I would think and consider is pretty generous here. Here would be the first-round picks for the new league of top brands that Trev is discussing. 
Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Georgia, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Texas, Michigan, Clemson, USC, Florida State, Florida, Miami, Penn State, Tennessee, Auburn, Ole Miss, and I'll throw in Texas A&M, UCLA, and Oregon in the first picks as well. Well, that's that's 20 teams right there, 20 brands right there. And as you were listening listening to me name off those programs, maybe I have some teams that I haven't said that right now you're screaming to yourself, that, that, that this team absolutely should be in. How could you not name that team? That could be. Now, I also could have named some teams there and you thought, really? I don't know about that team being a lock. Either way, whatever side of the fence you're on listening to this right now, either way, the reality is, I just listed 20 schools. There are potentially 15 to 20 more programs that would need to be picked to create that league. And the idea that Nebraska wouldn't be selected in this is crazy to me. That was the big takeaway when doing this exercise and thinking about it. Nebraska ain't getting left out of this scenario. You're telling me You're telling me when we are discussing top 35 to 40 college football brands, a brand in Nebraska, the Nebraska football program, that is top 10 all-time wins, top 10 all-time win percentage, tied for second most national championships since 1970. Only Alabama has more. Five national championships for Nebraska. You're telling me that brand is getting left out? No way. To keep going. How about this? There was an article that was put out about a week ago. It was a recent study done on big brand TV favorites, which studied and counted which college football programs had the most regular season games broadcasted by major TV networks over the last six years. Nebraska had the 18th most in the country, tied with Florida State and ahead of schools like UCLA, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee, Iowa, and Stanford. Keep in mind, this is over the last six years, and the last six years have been arguably the worst in program history, yet they are still 18th. 18th most regular season games broadcasted by major TV networks. Keep in mind the sellout streak. Even though it's been massaged a bit, we all know that. Nebraska still has the NCAA record consecutive sellout streak going. 389 straight games sold out, dating all the way back to 1962. 90,000 people still pack Memorial Stadium for every game. It's a great television product. I could also mention two more things. How about the fact that Nebraska has one of the five best college football coaches of all time in Tom Osborne and the fact that Nebraska has three Heisman Trophy winners. That number puts Nebraska at top 10 all time in most Heisman Trophy winners by a single program. 
all that that I just named, that's a brand. That is a brand. So, after letting it marinate and sit and do the exercise of putting a pen to paper and, you know, listing out schools and then thinking about, you know, Nebraska's resume and all that stuff, folks, Nebraska ain't getting left out of that scenario Trey pen, Trev painted. Nebraska ain't getting left out. If college football becomes a league of top 30 to 40 brands, whatever it is, they are in. Period. A Heard at Sports Network production. <laughs>